0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> welcome to another episode of of uh, the mystical the mystical matchmaker podcast i'm your host marla martinson and uh, if you don't know i'm a matchmaker i've been a matchmaker for two decades i'm also an award-winning author Um, My memoir, Diary of a Beverly Hills Matchmaker, chronicles a year in my life, working in Beverly Hills as a matchmaker to high-end men and beautiful women, star-studded memoir, a lot of fun, Um, and my latest, uh, last memoir, The Buddha Made Me Do It, A Field Guide to Enlightenment. So I'm excited to say that during lockdown, I've been feverishly working on a new book, um, and it's a new spiritual memoir, and it goes pretty deep. So I hope you guys have been able to be productive and creative during this downtime, because so my, many of us have had uh, a lot of time on our hands. And uh, I know uh, one person who did, like recorded a whole album. Um, my hubby wrote a, wrote some really great new songs, and so it's um, been a really great time to to dive deep and to get into our creativity to really have a lot of fun. Um, so I am going to just read a little bit from Louise Hayes, Heart Thoughts, A Treasury of Inner Wisdom. Ah, a rose is always beautiful, always perfect and ever-changing. This is the way we are. We are always perfect whenever we are in life. I am in the right place. Just as the stars and planets are in They're perfect orbit, and in divine right order, so are you. The heavens are in perfect alignment, and so are you. You may not understand everything that is going on with your limited human mind. However, you know that on the cosmic level, you must be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. Positive thoughts are what you choose to think. This present experience is a stepping stone to new awareness and greater glory. I love that. And... Louise also says, ask for help. Tell life what you want and allow it to happen. Everything I need comes to me in the right time space sequence. Doing affirmations, making wish lists, creating treasure maps, doing visualizations, and writing in a journal compared to going to a restaurant. The waiter takes your order and then goes into the kitchen to give it to the chef. You sit there and do whatever you do as you assume that the food is on its way. You don't ask the waiter every two seconds. Is it ready yet? How are they making it? What are they doing in there? The place You place your order and know that your food will be served to you. It is much the same in the cosmic kitchen of the universe. You place an order and know it is being taken care of. It will arrive in the perfect time-space sequence. So divine timing, everybody. And I have a really fascinating guest today. He wrote a a fantastic book called Touching the Jaguar. I just finished reading it, and I'm going to bring him on to talk about it. Uh, But to tell you about um, this amazing guy, John Perkins, he's an activist and author of 10 books on global intrigue, shamanism, and transformation, including the classic Confessions of an Economic Hitman. As a former chief economist at a major consulting firm, he advised the World Bank, United Nations, Fortune 500 corporations, and governments. He regularly speaks at universities, economic forums, and shamanic gatherings around the world, and is a founder and board member of the Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change. So we're going to talk about uh, his book, Touching the Jaguar, and about his a uh, little bit of his life as a, an economic hitman. If you haven't heard about that, you're going to find out what that is. So, welcome to the Mystical Matchmaker podcast. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you so much, Maria. It's great to be with you today.
0: Hey. All right. So, gosh, I this book was uh, gri- uh gripping. I couldn't put it down. And um so you're, you're, you're well-known for your New York Times bestselling book, The Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you became an economic hitman and what experiences converted you into a crus- crusader for transforming not only the economy, but the world, the Amazon.
1: Well, it, it really started when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Amazon in 1968 to 71. And my life was changed there by a shaman, who, and, and then uh, after, I, after I got out of that, I'd been in business school um, uh, before I went into the Peace Corps, so when I got out of the Peace Corps, I went back to doing what i have been trained to do, which was I became an economist with a major consulting firm and was a fairly quickly rose to chief economist, and, but my job was really that of an economic hitman. So what mm-hmm. I had, I had a, a staff of 30 to 50 people, depending on different, different times. Uh, and my job was to basically identify countries that had resources our corporations wanted, like oil, and then arrange a huge yeah. loan to that country uh, from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations. But the money never actually went to the country. Instead, it went to our mm-hmm. own corporations that made Huge profits by building big infrastructure projects in the country, things like electric power grids, industrial parks, highways, uh, ports, etc. These were things that, first of all, made big profits for our corporations, and secondly, benefited a few of the wealthy families in those countries the ones that own the industries, the commercial establishments that, that benefited from more electricity, better roads, and industrial parks, etc. But the majority of the people. Suffered because money was diverted from healthcare, education, other social services to pay off the uh, the interest on on the debt. Um, but in the beginning, I thought what I was doing was the right thing because all the economic models I studied in school and the ones that the World Bank used and still uses, and says, still taught in school, that if you want to help a poor country, put a lot of money in these big infrastructure projects, and you'll see the economy grow, and you do. And what's interesting is you mm-hmm. do see the economy grow. You see the GDP grow. But over time, I came to understand that that GDP is very skewed in favor of the, of the extremely wealthy. Uh, the, the statistics that yes. we use to measure these things do not measure uh, average prosperity or true prosperity for the country. They, average, they measure what the, main, uh, the biggest, uh, wealthiest families, wealthiest people in the country, how they're doing.
0: Right. And you were quite young when you got into this in your early 20s, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. I graduated from yeah. college, went to went to a, went to the Peace Corps for three years, and then went directly into this work for, for the next 10 years, and and eventually got out of it, and and, and then decided to go back to the Amazon and, and spend the rest of my life trying to change a system that I had come to understand was what economists. Today are increasingly calling a death economy, a global economic system that's basically consuming itself into extinction, and at the same time, uh, destroying the environment as we know, it, destroying life on this planet as we know. It. That's 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 what this system that I helped to create is doing.
0: Right, and and I know in the book you talk about how it was so agonizing for you to to be continue to do it, and then you'd get caught up in another job where you thought it wasn't going to be as bad because you're having the first class airplane and all the expensive dinners and all the, that life. And, it, but it was, you couldn't sleep at night because knowing what was going on.
1: Right. It's yeah. you know, I, so yeah. I, I grew up in New Hampshire, the son of a, of a teacher in a boys boarding school We. had all these essentials of life. The school gave us a small house and and I ate in the dining room with 200 boys, more or less for since the time I was four, my dad didn't really make much of a salary at all. We had basically had very little money, but I was surrounded by all these boys that were extremely wealthy and they came from all over the world from, from wealthy families. And, you know, so I grew up hearing these stories and, 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 I, and, I, and I, the American dream—I wanted that. I wanted to, to live that life. And now, suddenly, as an economic hitman, chief economist, I am living that life. Yeah, you know, flying first class around the world, eating in the finest restaurants, staying in the best hotels, whining and dining with presidents. And but during this period of ten years, it, you know, it began over time to see how wrong the system was, how what a what a lie it was. And, and the, the shaman, incidentally, when I've been in the peace corps and, and since then, I've learned that. that, that, that that, you know, human, human activities, a uh, 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 human reality is for the most part created by our own perceptions. That's a very much of a shamanic belief. It's also modern psychology. It's also marketing. It's corporate advertising. It's, you know, our institutions are, are created by our perceptions. And when enough people mm-hmm. accept a perception on, or, or, or codify it into law, it, it has a huge impact on reality. And I saw that I was using these tools of perception, GDP, these sophisticated economic studies to convince these leaders of countries to do things that, in, that, that increase the statistics and, and made them wealthy, the leaders, made our corporations wealthy, but we're not bringing prosperity to the world. And in fact, ultimately, we're destroying uh, this planet as, as we know it.
0: Yeah, and talking about perceptions, you know, well, I think most Americans, we, we had – have no idea that this is going on and we our perception is that america is so good we're the you know help everybody in the plan of uh, the other countries and all of that but uh i mean what i was reading there you know i'd, I'd known a little bit that i just you don't really as a regular person think about this stuff going on so nefarious uh, behind the scenes even uh assassinating uh, uh people who get in the way of it presidents and of countries and things. Um, yeah. So it's it was. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're reading a Hollywood movie or something.
1: Well, that's why I wrote the book because it's it is true, and I didn't I didn't get it for a while, and, and I part of the reason I got it was because I, you know, had been in the Peace Corps. I, I saw the other side. I saw people who were living in what we consider to be extreme poverty. And at the same time, I was meeting, I, I speak Spanish fluently, and I was meeting with people like Omar Torrijos, who was the head of state of Panama, who was telling me, look, don't you understand, I mean, he got it. Don't you understand what you're doing? And, and I have to it's say good. that, you know, my job involves basically holding out on one hand, this is symbolic only, but holding out on one hand a whole lot of money, millions, billions of dollars for and say, saying the president's, hey, take on this loan, sign off on this loan, and you and your family are going to do really well, or don't. And, oh, hey, remember what happened to Salvador Allende of, of Chile and in Arbenz of Guatemala and Mossadegh of Iran and Lumumba mm-hmm. of the Congo and Diem of Vietnam and on and on. And all these presidents are aware, and they still are today, that if they don't play the game with us, They're likely to be taken out of office, overthrown in coups, or assassinated by people we call the jackals, who usually have some association as assets to the CIA, not necessarily direct CIA agents, but have hired in in some aspect to do that. And Omar Torrijos, who helped bring me around, helped me to understand Uh, that happened to to him, and it happened to another one of my clients, a democratically elected president of, of Ecuador, Jaime Roldos. They both died in... Very very suspicious plane crashes. It's never been mm-hmm. proven it was assassination, but you know, if you if a plane crashes, the evidence gets destroyed, so there's no smoking gun because right. the smoking gun has gotten up in smokes quite literally. So, but you know, it was, it was pretty obvious, and that that, that, that's what happened. So yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a very great system, and it's a very difficult for a, a head of state of one of these countries to stand up to. And you're absolutely right. Too Americans don't understand this. We, we think that you know we're doing good things around the world, and I'm a very loyal American. My, my family fought in the yeah. Revolution, you know. And, but we've yeah. got to understand what we're doing in the world better, so that we can become better leaders for a true democracy and a democratic movement. And, and that's that's my that's my goal is to turn this around to, to turn the death economy into a life economy that will actually support life on the planet
0: right and your book explains why so many uh, countries um, um, are what's the resent resent the United States and like we don't understand why are they chanting death to America or why are they you know why are people people angry because we seem to be do, which we do do good as well but, but uh, there's things that that the average person has no idea b- about what's been going on so for so many years. So it's like, the, it's very eye-opening. And, and you even, well, I want to get into the shaman part too, but I know when you were first considering writing, writing your book, Economic Hitman, uh, you were even thre- threatened and, and poisoned. I, I when I come yeah. that part, talk about, talk about that part.
1: Well, yeah, when I, Quit that job in the early 80s, 81. I, uh, I started to write a book um, and I wanted to make it an expose. I wanted to interview other people who had jobs like mine, other economic hitmen, the jackals, the ones that, 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 that use um, much more violent methods right, when the economic hitmen fail. And I, I started contacting these people. And very quickly, I got anonymous phone calls uh, threatening my life and that of my daughter, who was an infant at the time. And uh, it's very serious first. I mean, I took them very seriously. I'd seen what these people could do, and and then I was in, invited out to dinner by the president of a major consulting firm, uh, uh, Stone and Webster, of Boston. And um, his firm had been a major competitor of my firm, when, and I'd be, I'd resigned at this point. And uh, he says to me, "You know, you've got a great resume. You're a chief economist at one of our competitors." We would love to use your resume in proposals. We said, and you won't have to do any work for us. Just let us use your resume. Maybe a little work. Maybe go to a few dinners, have a few meetings, et cetera, but not much." And I'm prepared to, uh, to write you a check tomorrow morning, a, a retainer of half a million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars. This was in the late '80s. It's half a million yeah. something to laugh at today, but it was even it was even more in those days. And so you know what it, it, what's happening to me is I'm getting the same thing that I've been dishing out to heads of state of other countries the carrot and the stick here take this yeah, money yeah or, yeah or or risk the life of your daughter and yourself. and so I have yeah. to say you know I I took the money and it, and then you know mm-hmm. in my own defense I'd say I did not go out and buy fancy cars or a big house. I I reinvested the money into going back to Ecuador, back to the Amazon, back to the people I'd I'd been a Peace Corps volunteer with and say, look, we've got to turn this thing around. And I wrote five books on shamanism, which were fine with Stone and Web, so they didn't care if I wrote that book. Oh, I I forgot to say, he he said, you know, I'm I'm willing to give you this check. Just don't write that book that we know you're working on. Just don't write that book. Right, right. And oh, yeah. So, but I was, he was fine with me writing books on shamanism. I wrote, you know, books to drink the World as you dream. It shapeshifting, psychonautic, et cetera. And uh, but I, you know, and so and, and I put the money to helping form two nonprofits that you mentioned earlier: Dream Change and Pachamama Alliance. And and really devoting my life to, uh, to trying to turn this this thing around. So uh, And yeah, then when was, you did was, have, so,
0: uh, I think you had a dinner or a lunch with with somebody, and then they they said, "Oh, well, now weren't you going to write a book?" And then you said, "Well, I thought about it, but I changed my mind." He <laughs> got out of that. Yeah, that <laughs>
1: well, well, yeah. well, that was just the President yeah. of the Suno Webster Engineering Company. That he he, he he said, "I you know I want to I offer you a five hundred thousand dollars retainer and let us use your resume. Yeah, aren't yeah. you know, are you yeah. writing a book and? And and I realized at that yeah. point he says that you can't you, oh no he said you can't write that book that you know we know you're working on, and uh, yeah. at that point I, I said well oh, yeah, yeah I, I got the message and I, meanwhile I've been getting these certain right. phone calls so there was, there was a lot going on <laughs> it was a pretty scary time. yeah was very scary was terrifying. I was, terrifying
0: terrifying terrifying yeah. and then and then when and and after you had um. You were out of it. Then, didn't you? You met with a ju- supposed a journalist, and you went to the bathroom, came back, and your meal was there. And tell everybody what happened there.
1: <laughs> well, so time goes on, and I'm, not, and I'm writing books on shamanism and, and 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 so on and so forth. And then um, after 9-11 happened, I was in the Amazon taking a group of people. I I'd take people to live with and spend a few days with and and learn from these indigenous people in in some of these countries. People can go to my website, johnperkins.org, and learn more. But I had a group. I was there on 9-11. When when I came home, I, I went to ground zero. At that point, I knew I had to write this book. I had to write about my life. I had to write about what was going on. And, but I decided I wouldn't tell anybody I was writing it. I wouldn't contact anybody else, unlike the, the original crime And, and I, it w- I would just make it a personal confession. So I wouldn't need to contact anybody. I'd write the whole book in secret. And I figured once i get mm-hmm. it out to publishers, it was my best insurance policy. Because anybody like the CIA or FBI or anybody like that would know that something strange happens to me. i become a martyr of the mm-hmm. book sell at the time, which is the opposite of what they wanted. So I thought that was my insurance policy. Well when the book was finally published, um, a couple of months after that, I was supposed to speak I was invited to speak at the United Nations. That book made a big splash. It very immediately went to the New York Times Sell. I stayed there for a year and a half. It sold over two million copies and mm-hmm. thirty some of them which and I'm I'm not I'm supposed to go and speak at the United Nations on a Tuesday. I fly up to New York from Florida where I live on Monday, and this journalist who's been working with my publicist <clears throat> to try to convince her that I should have lunch with him. He picks me up at the airport. He, he had very sketchy credentials, but he offered to take me at the airport, take me to lunch, take me to a friend's house where I was going to spend the night, and it seemed more attractive than taking a cab. So we do that, and, and uh, while we were having lunch at some point after the food had been ordered, I did go to the restroom. I remember all this afterwards. Several hours later, I had a huge uh, attack i, I was uh, bleeding internally i lost uh, i lost well over fifty percent of the blood in my body they they've they, they estimated that I lost a tremendous amount of blood and um I was in this private house and uh, and the woman who, who 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 owned the house an old friend had a friend who was a very well known gastroenterologist in New york. We called him about 7.30 at night, and he said, get immediately to uh, Lenox Hill Hospital. I'll send word ahead. You got your transfusions, and so on. Anyway, to make a long story short, they operated on me, and they removed about uh, 70% of my colon, my large intestine. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't Mm -hmm. until after all that happened that we put two and two together and and figured that uh, the the guy I had lunch with had poisoned me, which was Mm – Shocking and again terrifying, and, and I survived it because of they they operated on me and took out seventy percent of my colon. And uh, but afterwards, I talked to a friend who, a good friend, a friend uh, who had been a jackal, who had been in that other business. And I, I called him from the hospital and I said, Hey, do I need to worry about this? Who's this? Is like the CIA going to keep coming at me? He said, Well, I don't think it was the CIA. I don't think it was any government agency. Because if it were, you wouldn't mm-hmm. be calling me now. You Besides that, they're not stupid enough to, to, to take you out. It's a book. You know, they're, not, you know, they're not going to do that over a book, probably. He said, okay. I think he was a fanatic, somebody who either hated the work that you did as an economic hitman or hated the fact that you uh, have exposed that work, that you've written this book. And he said, I don't think you need to worry anymore. Um, he probably feels that he's accomplished his objective. He's scared he's you and he said, People like that are pretty much cowards anyway, and they said, There's this one more time that he knows you'd be looking for him after that. And incidentally, we were unable to get in touch with this guy. The, the whole exchange between him and my publicist had been on email, and his email mm-hmm. went dark after that. And plus, oh, my, no yeah, other... definitely, when yeah. I talked to the doctor and asked the doctor, he said, Well, oh, it's entirely possible you're poisoned, but we don't know because the, the part of your colon we removed was immediately incinerated, which is our policy here um, so there right, right. you know there was, no, there was there was no proof, no evidence, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens,
0: wow, yes, especially if his email went dark, he disappeared.
1: that is crazy so let's and, get uh, into the the and, shamanism and I oh, a, uh, yes. yes and I had a colonoscopy and, so, uh, less than a year before that right. and me a pretty pretty good uh, uh, you know a pretty good health help yeah
0: wow yeah that that's that is shocking so um and then so when you went into the uh Amazon at one point, um this going back back again, um talk about how you and then you almost died then, so this was when were you still you were still working as the economic hitman, or had you kind of gotten out of it when you met that first shaman?
1: Well, actually, that was before I was an economic hitman, and then that was when I was a Peace Corps volunteer that, oh, that I, was, yeah. I was, you know, deep in the Amazon as a Peace on volunteer. I just graduated from business school, uh, and I got very, very ill. And I, I was dying, uh, and I couldn't keep any food down. I couldn't stand up on my own. It would have taken me three days of very, very difficult travel, including hiking through dense forests, to get to the nearest medical facility up in the Andes. There was no way I could do it. And as the shaman came, offered to heal me. Now, at this point, 1969, I had no idea what a shaman was. I graduated from business school, you know, but but I was desperate. So that night, he took me on what we call a shamanic journey, a vision quest or whatever. I'm in an altered state, and I see this amorphous form in front of me, and the shaman says to me, Touch the jaguar. go around like I'm in the middle of the jungle, like, Where's the jaguar? Oh my God. And he says, No, no, no. Close your eyes and touch the jaguar. You see, in this amorphous form, shape shifts into the face of a jaguar. And, and I hear this voice that says, The food and drink will kill you. And what I realized at that moment is I was eating some, in my opinion, having I mean, grown up in New Hampshire, very, very very strange food, squirming white grubs, and, and, and the people in the Amazon don't drink water because they know the rivers have organic matter in them. It's not safe to drink, so they, women make a kind of beer by chewing manioc root and spitting it. It ferments. It sets up with alcohol that they can then mix water with. Anyway, on this journey, I think every time I ate this food or drank this spit beer, i hear this voice saying, it'll kill you. At the mm. same time, I, I I saw that these Shuar people were extremely robust, vital, you know, yeah. really healthy people, and they live to be very old. Some of them, if they don't die in a hunting accident or something. So that night, I I, I, I got I recovered, and, and 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 the shaman then asked me, to, basically demanded as payment that I become his apprentice. One of the things he taught me he said, you know. When you, when you know that you, you've got to change something, there's, there's a voice, this whatever it is that's holding you back from change, and we call that the jaguar because we fear yeah. change for whatever reason. And in this case, of course, it was my mother's voice or whoever's saying, it'll kill you. And, and the shaman yeah. said, if you run from that voice, if you run from that jaguar, if you don't listen to it, it'll keep chasing you. But if you go out and touch the jaguar, it'll transform your fear into actions that will change your life, and, and yeah. you can move into a new, new reality. So, again, he talked about it's perception creating reality. If you've got a perception that the food and drink is killing you, then the reality becomes you get sick, or at least mine did. If I change that perception to the food and drink is organic, local, it's nutritious, it's making them healthy, Why are you white to make me healthy, it can make me healthy, I move to a new reality, which is I get healthy. And it was an amazing teaching, incredible experience, and I could get it like that, better than I think it And we have to say,
0: you, it was ay- ayahuasca that he gave you, ayahuasca. So a that's, lot of people that's true. are, and I get, which is,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 A lot and of people are, to,
0: are into to, that now.
1: Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. And in those in those days, I'd never heard of it. Nobody that I knew had ever heard of ayahuasca. And then I was trained as an ayahuasca shaman for about a year by this, by this uh, shaman. And, yeah, now it's become uh, perhaps a little too popular in some respects and perhaps looked at it a little bit too much as a silver bullet. I'm, I'm concerned about that. But it, it, it is one of the portholes into um, helping us understand the need to change.
0: Yeah, I have not tried ayahuasca yet, but I have done uh, shamanic journeys with psilocybin uh, mushrooms
1: about eight times.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, compl- the most magical thing I've ever done, the most life-changing and healing, um, and I plan to do more. And, um, I, it's, have you ever uh, tried the
1: psilocybin? Yes, yes, yes. And, uh-huh. and you know, these plants and, and this yeah. peyote, there's, uh, San Pedro, there's many different ones that are used by different shamanic cultures. But, you know, the majority of shamanic cultures around the world don't. Use anything like that, they use rattles or drums or chanting, or you know, our own shamans in our culture are the, the psychologists who use uh, words, and 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 uh, it's all about. But in every case, and I studied shamanism since then in, in Indonesia and Iran and Egypt and all over the Americas, and every one of them, it's it's all about altering per, our reality by changing our perception as is modern psychotherapy, quantum physics, and so on, advertising, altering reality by changing perceptions. And these plants, like whether it's psilocybin or ayahuasca or San Pedro, whatever, are, can, can open those portals where we see that jaguar mm-hmm. and we see the need to change, and we understand that we've got to go into that need to change rather than run from it. But there's many other ways to do it, you know, meditation, yoga, Champion, this, uh, shamanic Journeys, you, you know, so I, I, I want to make it clear that although I, you know, I was trained at that and I have respect for the plant, I, I'm, I'm afraid that in, in our culture today, too many people are seeing that as some sort of a silver bullet, whether it's one of those plants. They're not silver bullets. They're one of the portals that we could use to get into it. And if we don't listen to them and we overuse them and don't really work on what we learn the first time, I, it's 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 self deceiving frankly.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's the key is if you're going to do it, uh, then you need to be working on yourself, not just do it for this experience. Like, okay, like it's a psychedelic and I'm seeing this and that and wasn't that cool. It's more like, for me, it reset my whole nervous system. Um, it got me, I was channeling the Pleiades uh, after, you know, first, the first, like, or so 7 was re going through past lives healing a lot of crying releasing crying 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 resetting the nervous system it was tough it was tough work and then in between i had to meditate and, and take a look at what i'd learned and what i needed to shift in my life and then as it they go through then your my body can handle it it's it's more um the nervous system is recalibrating everything the, the body so now i can start getting those messages and, and uh, maybe channeling some other beings or um, going into some other, because it opens that you get into the other dimension and you can really see some stuff. And for me, it's been phenomenal. But if I, but totally, I I think if I hadn't, if I don't continue that, that deep work on myself in what I want to shift and heal and, and clear up, it wouldn't, it would just be like just an experience. And it, it it's just, yeah, I, <laughs> by being clear, but definitely it's something yeah. to be show a lot of respect to. It's not just, okay, let's do this for, for fun. Um, definitely. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. And what did, what, what did, what did you feel the difference I've heard that I'm a little bit afraid to do ayahuasca because like with the psilocybin, I wasn't throwing up or anything like that with the ayahuasca it just sounds a little more, You know, scary. People are vomiting and and all of this stuff. So I'm a little um, hesitant to to try that.
1: Well, I've only done it with shamans in the Amazon, and I've taken a number of people through turns, probably over a 1,000 people over the last 40 years, Mm -hmm. uh, but only Mm -hmm. in the Amazon. And they... they really want you to throw up or have diarrhea to purge because they say that's getting rid of bad energy. And right. they don't fear that at all. It's like, yeah, you got to do that. You got to get rid of this stuff, let it out. And, right. and you know, okay. and, and, then, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing now in, in the United States and places, there's, there's, there's people that give it out that really give doses to, that they don't do that. They try because they know people don't like that in our country. But okay, yeah. micro doses or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, they, they, you know, yeah. Anyway, um, and I, I love the fact that you know when you when you did the suicide then you you really saw that this opening a portal that you had to work on. Um, earlier this year, somebody asked me. They, they say, "So how, how many times did you do ayahuasca last year?" I did it 20 times, and they're like, "Oh my God, the last mm-hmm. time I did it was wow. 10 years ago, and I'm I, I'm still processing that." And so, you know, mm-hmm. it, it bothers me. People will take it, and they may have a great experience, they want to repeat that, or they may not have had much of right. an experience at all, or they may have had a bad experience, they want to have a different kind of experience. No. The experience mm-hmm. you have, you need to accept that that's what you needed, that's what the plant tells you you need, and you've got to put time into it, maybe years into it. You shouldn't just go out and mm-hmm. take it again. But, yeah, I, but, but all of these plants, I think, you know, I, I think there's a consciousness revolution happening in the world. I, I speak all over the world, and recently in Russia, China, all over. And and what we see is that this this awakening to the to the knowledge that we we live on a very fragile space station called Earth, and we're driving her toward disaster. We're the pilots, we're navigating toward disaster. We need to change, and and people around the world are getting this an awakening, and I think. You know the plants are helping us in that process by offering this. I think right now this mm-hmm. virus is is forcing us to look at things that we haven't wanted to look at in the past. A lot of people are really looking at. So why why can we suddenly see the stars in Beijing or in Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really think we're we're getting this very strong message, and that's why I wrote the book Touching the Jaguar because it, it and the and the subtitle is transforming fear into action to change your life and the world, and you know, in, the, in the book, at the end, it, it goes through a whole lot of stories. I, I think I try to write it in a way that's really fun. It's real, uh, true stories. It's written in what's called uh, narrative nonfiction. But in the process, I'm helping people open up to a process that comes out in the end. It's a, a daily practice. You can do it once a week. It doesn't have to be every day. But maybe take 10 minutes or less where you really go mm-hmm. into what, what, what ayahuasca would do for you, and you, it's based on five questions you ask yourself, and then you dive deep into how you answer these questions, and that involves confronting the things about change that we most fear. And Right now with the coronavirus, this is a great time to be exploring that. And confronting our fears and then seeing how we change our perceptions that then result in us changing actions that then change our lives.
0: Right. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah, the, the virus has. It's made some people have to look at their relationships. Maybe they're getting healing them, or maybe they're getting a divorce. Some people had to look at their finances because they had no savings, and they got decimated from, you know, the work. Work. So it's everybody. Uh, the virus has something to teach each one of us. Um, I
1: feel so. It, mm-hmm. it has been. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, many, many years ago. Uh, an amazing woman shaman up in the High Andes, Quechua woman, uh, (laughs) the wonderful name of Maria Juana. (laughs) Maria Uh Juana. Maria Juana. And I take take uh, groups of people to her periodically. Again, people go to Johnperkins.org to find out more about all that. But I was there with a group and I was translating and one of the people said, hey, Maria Juana, how do we save the world? And she laughed. She said, you know, Pachamama, the world's not in danger. We are as a species, and we've taken a lot of other species with us, but we're like so many fleas to Pachamama. And if we get to be too much of a nuisance, she'll just blah, 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 shake us all off. And then Maria Wanna point it up at this volcano that hovers over her home in Babur, a sacred volcano. And she said, a few years ago, 20 years ago, that volcano was covered with a big ice cap. It isn't anymore. Pachamama's twitching. She's sending us a warning. And isn't it great, Marijuana says, to be alive now that we're so blessed to be able to listen? We can listen to the warnings of the earth that is giving us. And, you know, over the years since then, every time a major hurricane or earthquake Tsunami or, or fires in places like California and Australia and, and so many other places. Every time one of these once in 100 year events that's now happening every year or so hit us, I was reminded of that. Like, we got to listen. But we didn't. Mm-hmm. We looked at those as local events. You know, if I survive the hurricane, somebody's going to come along because the outside world is going to come along and, 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 and to, to come to my rescue. And, and bring me bottled water and food and, and convince me that we can go back to normal uh, later. And so we weren't listening because it was, it was seen as local. Now this virus is, is global, and it's global, and we, uh, everybody around the world is being impacted. We, ha- we have to listen. We're being forced to listen, and it's, it's forcing us to make major changes in our lives. So that's, you know, it's, it's come along. We, we, didn't listen to the, we didn't listen to the local thing, so we've got to move forward now with this global thing. And hopefully we'll really listen and, and create changes, the major changes that need to be changed to move from a death economy to a life economy, or we're going to be hit by something worse in the future.
0: Right, and, and whether people believe it was, you know, unleashed um, on purpose or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, ha- we don't know exactly, but what happened was it did end up being for us in, in that way and making us take a look and, and I, and the pollution is less, the traffic accidents are less, the people have slowed down. It's kind of like we've all been, all of us adults have been sent to our room, you know, for like <laughs> three months, like think about what you're doing um, so I hope that with this decreased pollution, et cetera, that that now we can find ways to uh, keep it at these lower levels. And I think you mentioned plastic in the book too. I mean, I, I just I'm so concerned about this plastic. It doesn't seem like we're really um, in diminishing that. Well, the Is
1: it- you know the the road <laughs> the, the, the the road to Transforming a death economy into a life economy. So what is a life economy? Let's look at that for a moment. The life economy is an economic system. It's really governmental, social, economic that pays people to clean up pollution. So instead of using our tax dollars to pay Raytheon and General Dynamics to make more weapons uh, that, that really don't protect us from viruses and so forth, let 's pay them to, to create the techniques to clean up all the plastic, mine the plastic in the oceans or clean up all the the oil that yeah. leaks around gas stations all over the world and, and drilling sites and and pay people to regenerate destroyed environments to recycle, to come up with new technologies that use the sun and the air and, 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 and more efficiently so that we, we create an economic system that doesn 't uh, the story that doesn't ravage na- nature.
0: And we create an
1: economic system that itself is a renewable resource. And all that really takes is a change of perception. So the death economy is based on the perception that the goal should be for businesses to maximize short-term profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. And individuals basically should maximize their short-term materialistic desires. The, the life economy is based on the, on the perception that the goal should be to maximize long-term benefits for people in nature and to, and to make it a better world for the future. And incidentally, that's how human beings have lived most of the 250,000 years that we've been humans on this planet. And it's only been within the last blink of an eyelash in history that uh, we've, we've been on this course of looking at short-term maximization of material gains. we so yeah. all we've got to do is turn that around. And this virus, I think, it's, it's, it's hitting us over the head with this. Hopefully we'll really, really listen to it. The hurricanes were hitting us over the head with it too, but we didn't listen. We mm-hmm. took, looked at it as local. Yeah. Now we're being hit in a way that everybody's uh, being affected and, and, and we're learning that we don't have to buy as many things, that we can, you know, we can enjoy life at home or we can learn to play the flute. We can learn to write books or we can read more books. This, so, this virus has, has got us to confront this jaguar. So I know, you know, people are saying, well, damn, I can't, I can't isolate myself for another day. Forget about another month or two months or whatever. I got to do something. When you touch that jaguar, the jaguar says, wait a minute, didn't you always want to learn to, play the flute. You got a flute. The internet can teach you. But didn't you always want to read more books or didn't you always want to write a book or, or learn to paint better or, or spend more time on the phone with your family members who live someplace overseas or you know, d- 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 just spend more time with your family, do some gardening, um, if we touch that jaguar that says, hey, I can't be isolated anymore, and say, yeah, but what are the advantages that this isolation is giving us? And then we look at the long-term, like how do we turn these advantages into more of a long-term way of living? That's, that's what we call a life economy. Then we've, we, we've, we've listened finally to, to what, the, what the environment is telling us and what, 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 our, what our way of living is telling us
0: yeah and I've only uh filled my gas tank uh twice since March, <laughs> so it's really you know uh saved us money there and and uh pollution and stuff so um i haven't <clears throat> I haven't minded it there's just uh, you know a couple of things I miss going to some some spiritual workshops maybe or and then the, my spin class at the gym but other than that i'm i mean i there's not enough hours in the day that to keep you know i have so many things to keep me busy here. Um, so it, it, it has been nice. everybody slowed down. and then I noticed Zoom is really you know b- booming uh, their business. Everybody's on Zoom doing their you know workshops and visiting and business and all of that. So we, we can do it. People have, have moved a lot of businesses online and which saves time in commuting and pollution and everything. So yeah, I, I, I do see a lot of gifts, gifts that have come out of this situation. So, yeah. so tell we've, so a couple more. couple more things before I let you go. So I see you're living on Bainbridge Island. Yes. Thank yeah, that's phenomenal. A lot of writers over there. I'm from I'm from Federal Way, 30 minutes outside of Seattle. That's that's my home up there. So I was like all excited that it's it's one and it's interesting. It's one place I have not visited is Bain, Bainbridge Island. I have to take the ferry over there um, one of these times because I'm up in. I'm up in Seattle every about every six weeks. So I was like, wow, he's from my home, my hometown. Um, and how are you? How, have, how long have you lived up there?
1: About 10 years. I, I grew up in New Hampshire, uh-huh. and I've lived a in, lot in Latin America and other places. But I've been here about 10 years. I, I still, you know, pre-virus, I was I still was spending several months a year in Latin America and taking groups there and hanging out with indigenous people. Um, and and uh, you know writing books about these things um and and really this last book uh is a is is, is intended as a bridge between the, sh- the the five shamanic ones and the the four economic ones and 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 to show how you know that that shamanic concept of changing realities or changing perception can be used to to turn this death economy into a life economy, and yeah, Bainbridge is great, and you should come over because we've got these beautiful yeah. forests. <laughs> which I get yeah. into every day. I try, I try to jog or, or jog, sprint, walk, meditate for two, mm-hmm. at least two miles every day, and, and it's it's you know it's only a 35 minute ferry ride from downtown Seattle, so it's a great destination. Yeah. That's- that's
0: beautiful. And so, when you take people down, how how many times a year do you take groups down to the Amazon?
1: Well, so I take people once a year to the to the Amazon normally, uh-huh. and once a year to the Kogi people of, of the mountains of Colombia, and once a year to the uh, Mayan people of uh, the Mayan shamans in Guatemala. So in all these cases where we hang out with the shamans, with the indigenous people, and our people have a chance to learn from them a great deal. Uh, right now, the next trip that's scheduled, we're supposed to be one in August to the Amazon, but we've, 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 we're postponing that one. The next one that's scheduled is actually in January to the Mayan people of Guatemala. And again, people can go to johnperkins.org. Uh, which is a good place to pre-order the book as you can order it from your local bookstore there or online wherever you want to order it. And also I encourage people to 100%. sign up to my newsletter and just put your email address in the little box there and then you'll get updated as to when our next trip. So maybe we'll have one before next this coming January if, if, if things uh, you know improve for the for travel. But we're being very careful also to, I, it. Stay in touch with uh-huh. the indigenous people to make sure that they want us to come. There, so A lot of them are isolated yeah. right now.
0: I heard, I know some people who go to Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. Is that where you go or mm-hmm.
1: uh, where, where do you go, well, go we, in Guatemala? Yeah, we go, sometimes we go there, but we spend most of the time down in the jungles of the Paten area where Tikal is. That is a huge, amazing sacred site. You know, and the shamans are down there. We do lots of fire ceremonies. So we spend a little time up in the mountainous area around uh, Lake Hatitlan. But, the, but we mm-hmm. really focus on the area down in the Catan, which is the same as the Yucatan of Mexico, and, and, and these yeah. incredible sacred sites. And the shamans are with us the whole trip, uh, the whole trip from day one to, 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 to the last. Like they travel with us. Mayan shaman is very, very traditional. and they, We do fire ceremonies, and they do healings. And they do calendar readings. Everybody has a personal calendar reading and, and seed readings. It's, oh you know, it's it's really, uh, it, it, we're, 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 people are just really, really deeply, deeply integrated into Mayan culture.
0: Oh, I love it. And uh, do you do any journeys, ayahuasca or anything on these trips or, or no?
1: In the Amazon, yes, but the Mayans typically mm-hmm. don't do that, at least not with outsiders. Okay. Neither do the kogi. Um, and mm-hmm. and so, but they, but you know, the Mayans, I guess they had, a, a, this last year I had a, a, a gentleman who
0: went to the Amazon
1: with me in August and then went to the Mayan with people with me in, in this past January. And he did ayahuasca in the Amazon, but he said at the, in the Mayan trip, he said, you know, the fire stammerings we do here, that take me into this portal uh, that's stronger than anything I ever experienced with ayahuasca. And he had a good experience with ayahuasca, but but, he said, but these fire mm-hmm. ceremonies are just you know they take you they they take you into this portal into this altered state if you will where you can really go up there and touch those jaguars. Um, to me, that's you know it's it's, it's a great example if you <laughs> if you combine those two of how yeah the ayahuasca can do things, but. Uh, There's many other ways of doing it, and buying forest energies are one of them. Uh, You know, the 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 daily practice that I that I uh, outline in in the book in touching the jaguar is 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 doing the same thing. Basically, it's opening you to your these portholes on the on a re- very regular basis uh, you can, and, 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 and you reach one level and then it gives you the opportunity to move to the next level and so on and so forth.
0: Mm, I love it. And I, my husband's uh, originally from Mexico city. So I've been to Mexico like 20 times and we've gone, all over the the country, different places. And every time I tell them, can we find a shaman somewhere? Can we? And I'm like trying to find the Indians. I'm trying to find the, you know, the the magic. I'm trying to find the healers. I'm like, I haven't, uh, you know, I think I need to go in a, a group like with you or something, because you can't just find them, you know, on a street
1: corner. You've got to well, know the,
0: you have to have some ends.
1: <laughs> to, 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 to find the real authentic ones, they've got to trust you.
0: And they ask us to bring yeah.
1: people, but they but they gotta they gotta get to know us. So I've been working with Mayan shamans since the 70s, and of course Amazonian shamans since the late 60s. Um, and it's you know there's a trust there that they that they you know they, they really trust. And so to get really authentic, yeah. to shamans, it's you know you got to put some time into it. I mean somebody can do it on their own if they're willing to go in and they speak the language. And they're willing to mm-hmm. hang out for a long time and show a real deep interest. But the easier way to start with is to go with people like us who, who know the shamans, who they trust us. And, and these shamans, incidentally, so a number of people going gone on these trips have ended up staying longer or going back afterwards and spending time a week, a month, or more uh, with the shamans, mm-hmm. studying with them, learning, learning their practices. They're very mm-hmm. open to doing that. They, they really want to share this, this knowledge Amazing. How way, long are
0: your trips? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Uh, about anywhere from you know ten days to two weeks, and we we restricted to fifteen oh, okay. people. And mm-hmm. yeah, so if people you know sign up pre order the book and sign up for this Facebook group that we've got, uh, every two weeks we have guests, and, and the last one we did uh, two weeks ago. Was that uh, they 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 guest were three Mayan shamans from Guatemala. They were you know they got on the internet. Mm-hmm. You could see them. They did, they performed a fire ceremony on, uh, virtually over on the internet. It was very powerful. Mm-hmm. It was very beautiful, and and talked about the, the you know the Mayan prophecy of 2012, which is a very optimistic uh, prophecy. Incidentally, it's not the one Hollywood has made it out to be. And um, that was two exhibits of just a couple of days ago it was a, it was the second one we did, and that was with Lynn Twist who wrote the book Soul of Money and. And we've got one coming up in two weeks, and and so this this allows people to really go deep into this stuff. Uh, and just and again, this is John wonderful. Perkins, how, God,
0: how do people find that? Um, how do people find that Facebook group?
1: Well, they go to johnperkins.org and
0: the information. Okay, is there's there. a link. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna go join that Facebook group today. That sounds wonderful. With, well, it, yeah, it, 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 I'll, it, be, I'll be I'll be in there all watching all that. In January. Oh, that would be amazing. I'm supposed to go to uh, Ireland on October 1st with my shaman, because I work with a shaman uh, here in LA and um, healing and all of that. And, and I'm an energy healer as well. And I'm supposed that we're going to the sacred sites and he cha- he's a trance channel. He channels messages at all the points. And I'm, I'm just that it's already paid for and set. And I'm just praying that it doesn't get canceled. Um, oh, wow. But I think maybe by October things will be okay, but um definitely, your your one of your trips is on my wish list. That sounds amazing uh-huh. So um <laughs> so okay, so well, i glad you thank you, you I, so I, much I for oh yeah, go ahead.
1: Sorry. no, it's funny there's a slide between us, uh, voice wise. No, I I'm, I'm it's great that you're doing that. I think that you know, it's it's a great experience for wherever you do it, as long as you get got the real authentic thing it sounds like yeah. you do. So yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. So thank you so much for spending this time and talking about your amazing book, Touching Badwire and you guys can go to johnperkins.org to order the book and to find out more about his uh, uh, trips um, and the Facebook group. So just sending everybody much love, and thanks again, John.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thank you so much for what you do, getting this message out and doing this program. I really, really deeply appreciate it. This is what it's going to take us to keep getting this message out more and more. Keep up your great work. Thank you. That's
0: right. Thank you. All right. Much love, everybody. Until next time. Bye.
1: Bye.